So we are wrapping up a series that Luke and I have been tag-teaming over the last couple months, and this is the last of the series. It's a message called All Things New, and if you would, if you have your Bibles or iPads, iPhones or droids, whatever you use for your Bible, or if you go the old-fashioned way and you use a, a, a paper Bible, um, I encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17. In the meantime, I'm going to share few verses with you as we lead up to 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm going all the way to the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. And the first verse in the Bible reads like this. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I'm going to fast forward all through the whole story, and I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 21. There's actually one more chapter after that, but we're at the very end of the biblical story. Revelation chapter 21. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21.1, then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. You go down just a few verses later, John says, And he, that being God, who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see that at the beginning of the Bible. You go to the end of the Bible, at the end of the whole story, and John says he sees a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And in Revelation 21.5, we see God seated on the throne, and he's saying, Behold, I am making all things new. And then we go to Romans Romans 8.29. And it reads like this. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined or predetermined that they would be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those whom God foreknew, he also predetermined that being us as believers, that we would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, in order that Jesus would be the first. So Jesus is conformed to the image of God, and we are conformed to the image of Jesus or Jesus is not conformed, he is the image of God, I'm sorry, and we are conformed to the image of Jesus. Now we go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. This used to be my, my life passage. Anybody have a life passage? Don't know what a life passage is? Kind of one of those passages that define your verse, life verse. People call them life verses. It defines you. It defines you or really resonates with you. 
I remember 2000, 2004, the Lord grabbed a hold of me and transformed my life. And, and um, this is the passage that resonated with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Jesus Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I know who Billy Joel is, the singer. Most of you probably know who Billy Joel is. When he was 40 years old, he was in a conversation with a young man. In fact, the young man was John Lennon's son, Sean Lennon. Sean was 21, and uh, Billy Joel was 40. And Sean was saying, man, it is really, it's really hard being 21 in our day and day and age. And Billy said, yeah, I, I, know, I know what you mean. I grew up during the, during the Vietnam War. He's like, yeah. Sean was like, but that's, that's different, man. You, you grew up as a child in the 50s. Nothing happened in the 50s. And Billy Joel was like, wait, what? How about the Korean War? The uh, Suez Canal crisis? I mean, the list goes on. And so that conversation with Sean Lennon, it inspired Billy Joel to write the song, We Didn't Start the Fire. How many of you know that song or are familiar with that song? <laughs> so what the song does, actually Billy Joel's not a big fan of it because he said it was so easy to write. He just basically got a list of events and, and threw it down. It's a, it's a list of chronological events from the time that Billy Joel was born until he was 40 years old when he had this conversation of, uh, uh, with, with Sean Lennon. And so it's, it's a list of chronological events. And some of the events are good, but it shows a lot of the brokenness and hardship in the world from the time that Billy Joel was born until he was 40. And then the course repeats over and over again, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. I've heard that a lot of Billy Joe's songs were where he got mad at somebody and triggered and, <laughs> and ended up writing a, writing a song about it. But the interesting thing is, you know, he just took, all he did was take a, a, a list of, of events and he just laid them out and it showed all the things that have been going on in the world. And he, and he says in the song, this stuff has been going on uh, forever, it seems. And you could do the same thing with the next 32 years from the time he was 40 until... Uh, uh, where he is presently. You can list, you can take your own life and list the events, and you can make your own We Didn't Start the Fire uh, song. And it's true. The fire of sin and death has been burning almost, I would say, since the world's been turning. We personally didn't light it, and this is what many don't want to hear, but we have contributed to it. And we have tried to fight it. But many don't want to hear this. We alone will never win. You've heard me say before that, that humanity, although we keep trying to solve the, the sin problem, we have never solved the problem of sin and death. <laughs> it's always that fire's always been burning since the world's been turning. Jesus is the only hope in a world that has been set ablaze by sin. The fire is the reason, the fire that, 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 that Billy Joel talks about in his, 
in a song, he, that's the reason that we need the cross. The cross is the answer to the fire, and, and the gospel is clear. Jesus died for our sins, right? But here's the thing. God wants to use us as his new creations, not only in putting out the fire, but in restoring that which has been charred by its flames. And so there's two ideas. These two ideas you'll often hear me speak about. There's two ideas because I believe that the church needs to reestablish this in their thinking if we're going to live into God's purpose. And one is to understand the nature of the kingdom of God, and we've talked about that in previous sermons. And two is understand the idea of new creation and what that means. Remember, the kingdom of God is anywhere that God has rule. Anywhere that God is reigning, anywhere that God has dominion over, that is where the kingdom of God resides. The idea of new creation is anywhere that comes under that rule of God. These two realities, they didn't just arrive, uh, they don't just arrive in the second coming of Jesus. And that's the thing with, with a lot of, of Christians. We're looking forward uh, to something that in part has already arrived. They arrived with Jesus' first coming. There's this theme throughout the New Testament of already, not yet. When are we saved? Anybody tell me when we're saved as Christians? When you believe? All right, but the Bible also says that we're saved when Jesus returns. We're saved already. We're being saved, right? Sanctification, right? We're being saved. Our minds are being renewed. And that ultimate salvation means deliverance. will ultimately be delivered at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So there's this theme of already, not yet. And it's the same thing with the kingdom of God. We look forward to the kingdom in its fullness, but it's already it's already started with the, the first advent of Jesus Christ, and it's, and it's growing as the gospel is spreading over the earth. It's the same with the, the new creation. Jesus was the beginning of new creation, but in the end, we saw that in Revelation chapter 21, we see a new heavens and a new earth. We see it in all of its fullness. God calls us as believers right now. Anyone who is in Christ is, not will be when Jesus returns, we are new creations. And when we don't understand this, ignorance stunts the gospel. It stunts the gospel because the gospel, because it's a gospel that only looks to the future, but fails to see the broader purpose in this life here and now. And I do believe that we should look to the future. I think there's some believers that we don't look enough to the future. I, I believe we need to have an eternal perspective, right? When life is hard, we need to have our hope in heaven and knowing that there's something better that is to come. We, our hope is the return of Jesus Christ when he makes all things new. We're looking forward to that day, right? But we need to see God's purpose for us in the here and now. When we fail, it's, it, it, it's like, a, um, it's like a, 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 uh, a parent seeing their main purpose as, just having babies, right? Uh, and there's devastating consequences for that in not only the family, 
unit, but also in, in society when parents don't show up and fulfill the purpose that they were meant to fulfill. It stunts the way a, a family was designed to function. It's the same way when we don't understand the gospel and God's purpose in the world for us, the church. So when we miss the broader scope of the gospel, we do God's mission and injustice and we confuse our place in it. I believe that the gospel is stunted because it stops at the cross. And to some, that's going to seem very shocking. What What do you mean, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said it is finished. And yes, in, 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 in a way, it, it was finished. Sin was atoned for. Sin was the, the problem of sin was taken care of on the cross. But many, many understand the cross as the end game, and then we just wait until the second coming of Christ or the rapture or whatever. And in some ways, the cross, again, it was the end game. Sin was atoned for, but now what? Now what? Why are we still here on the earth? Be witnesses, right? But that doesn't, that not only entails letting this world know about what Jesus did and spreading the gospel, but it also involves showing what the power of a living Savior, not one who died on the cross, but one who was resurrected, a living Savior who now resides in heaven, what a living Savior is doing in us now. That's why it shouldn't stop at the cross. It needs to go through to the resurrection. It needs to go through to the ascension. And it needs to go through Pentecost. What if we thought of the cross as a springboard? You see, the cross was the, it was the end game for sin, but it was a springboard. Listen to me. It was a springboard to something new. The good news continues after the death of Jesus. Jesus was resurrected. He was the first of the new creation. That's what the Bible tells us. And it still doesn't end there. Just like I said, he ascended into heaven. He took his seat on God's throne at the right hand of the Father. And now he rules over the hearts of those who trust him. Is Jesus the king of your heart? Has God, has God's kingdom, have you, have you entered into God's kingdom? See, a lot of us, we think of entering God's kingdom is, means when we die and we go to heaven and we enter into heaven. No, when you're in Christ, you enter into God's kingdom. That means he has reign over you. He's the king of your heart. That's the reason the song sings that. It says, I'm living in, I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. He's my Lord. He's my king. Is Jesus the king of your heart? Apostle Paul writes again, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Something new has taken place. Did you notice that? We, too, are the beginning of new creation. God sent his Son. God and his Son, they sent the Holy Spirit. Finally, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit send the church into the world. Once Jesus returned to heaven, he now pours out his Spirit upon believers so that we can storm this world with his resurrection power. 
We may not be resurrected physically yet, but we already are spiritually. Remember? Already, not yet. We will be resurrected physically, but we need to understand we have been resurrected spiritually. It all goes back to what Luke was saying this morning about believing that I am a child of God. It's believing these things that will transform us. The cross was the springboard to our purpose and mission today. Think of it as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven if you're in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven invading earth. He is making all things new. And and by new, what I mean is restored to its purpose and design, not erasing the mistake and starting over. God don't make mistakes. He renews. He restores. He resurrects. He reconciles. That's what God does. The really cool thing, though, if we'll wrap our minds around it, is that he uses the church in this process. We, we go to heaven when we die, but we've got to understand that God is bringing heaven to earth. First through Jesus, then Jesus through the children of God, the church. That's what we're here for. The end game, when Jesus returns, is not us going to heaven, but go to Revelation 21, if you don't believe me, but God in heaven, he comes to us. Revelation 21 Two through three, John says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, coming down, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, coming down where? To the earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So in, in, in Eden, and some of you that are reading through the Bible Challenge, you've watched these Bible Project videos, I mean, they're spot on, they're dead on. It's like in the garden, heaven and earth were together. <laughs> and then sin messed that up. It, it separated that. And so that's why you see now God, heaven and earth, has to meet in a, in a tabernacle in the Holy of Holies where only the priests can enter once a year. But then in Jesus, heaven and earth meet, right? He comes and he dwells with us in Jesus But then it's not there. At Pentecost, he comes and dwells in us, literally, because the sin problem, because he died for sin, that's taken care of. Now he can come and dwell in us who will look to Jesus. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? We we receive the dwelling of God within us as his temple. And so that's the pattern. And then you get to the end of the Bible and the dwelling place of God is with man in its fullness in the new heavens and the new earth. But for now, we as the church exhibit God's coming in and through us to the world. That's our mission statement. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. And the, spring, the cross was the springboard to new creation. And when we, as the church, when we spread this new creation gospel with our love, with our life, and and with our lips, we take part in fulfilling Jesus' model prayer, Father, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we were made for. Remember, we've talked about in, in sermons past, we are created in the image of God. What does that mean? We talked about all the things it can mean, but what really, you want to get to the heart of what it means to be created in the image of God is we're mirrors. We reflect God's goodness. We reflect his blessing. We're mirrors. We're imagers. Think of it as imagers. We image God. We are created to image God. We were designed to reflect his love and blessing in the world. That was Adam and Eve's vocation and mission. That was why they were created. That was Abraham's mission. And eventually it was Israel's vocation and and mission. It was their purpose. Though they failed, thankfully, thank God, it was also Jesus' mission. It was his vocation. And he fulfilled that mission. He imaged God perfectly. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father I only do the works of my Father. When he spoke, it was the Father speaking through him. He imaged God in the world. He imaged his blessing in the world. He brought the kingdom of God through him to the world. And through Jesus, again, through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, our sins are atoned for, and we are empowered to fulfill this mission by the power of his Holy Spirit. We're empowered to do it. So that should be our attitude is I can do it. I'm empowered to do it. My wife and I got in a minor little debate the other day. She loves gummy bears. <laughs> like, it's an obsession, guys. She needs help. She also likes to shove them in my mouth, whether I want them or not. So I'm driving in the car and she's popping them in my mouth, you know. And I haven't even finished the two or three that are in my mouth, and she's shoving more in there. I'm like, stop. Anyways, the other day, she's like, you don't want them? I was like, well, I like gummy bears, but come on, one at a time, please. So the other day, I was eating a gummy bear, and I was making him dance as he was entering into my mouth. We do stupid stuff like that. (laughs) And she laughed, and she said, more like screaming for his life. And I said, no, he's dancing. That's, he wants to be eaten. That's what he was made for. Guys, I've been like this since I was a kid. Like, <laughs> I felt sorry if I left one Cheerio because that Cheerio wanted to be eaten. That's what it was made for. He didn't want to get thrown in the trash. Always a pastor, and there's always a sermon there. And, and, and I said, no, he's a gummy bear. He was made to be, made to be eaten by, by me, so he's dancing. Well, we're not gummy bears, right? But we are image bearers. See what I did there? I didn't even know I did that until after I wrote out the illustration. We are image bearers. We were made to bear God's image in every area of our lives. Hey, but you, now you can make that connection. I always think of the gummy bears, and its purpose is to be eaten, and our purpose is to bear the image of God in the world. That's what we call missional living. 
It's viewing missions not as something that happens overseas. Remember that. Missions is not something that just happens overseas. It does. We support a lot of great missionaries. We have them here, and they preach, and they tell us about what's going on in the world, and they're called to those missions. Well, some of our missionaries actually are pastors to missionaries, and they send people overseas. But missional living is not viewing missions as something that happens overseas, and missions is not a program that we do in the church. While we're a simple church on a mission to love God, grow together, change the world, why do we call it simple? It's because we're not program-driven. Does that mean we don't have programs and we don't do things corporately? Yes. But it's not a program. It's a way of life. Way of life. We are successful as a church when all of you guys, this is the time we come, you know, we often say to get our batteries recharged. It's a time to be equipped. It's time to be equipped so we can go out there and, and live our lives in missional living. We're missionaries. Way of life. In faith walking, we say missional living is about the kingdom of heaven invading the earth in the here and now. Missional living is about wholeness being restored in every dimension of life. You know what that means? When something is whole, right? It's not broken anymore. Uh, the Jews called it uh, shalom. The word means peace, but it means more than peace. It means wholeness. So when you wish somebody shalom, you're wishing wholeness. Do you see yourselves as God's missionary? Do you? Just like, again, just like Luke was saying, you know, I want to believe that I'm a child of God. I want to believe that I'm, I'm his missionary. I'm his representative. I'm his ambassador. We're, we represent God in the world. That's not to shame you. That should get you giddy. Because our sins are atoned for, there's no more condemnation, so it should get you giddy. Not like, oh man, how am I going to do this so over? No. God is with you. He, in, he empowers you. And the thing is, is God is already on mission. He will accomplish his purpose and he will bring about the new creation. In fact, there's going to be a day when it's all settled once and for all. Jesus will establish God's kingdom in all its fullness, and the new creation will be totally complete. Every knee will bow, the Bible says, and every tongue will acknowledge, whether they want to or not, that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. But right now, he invites us to be a part of establishing his kingdom in the present. And I know that sounds like a daunting task, and it is. Thankfully, we're not on mission for God. We're on mission with God. See the difference? We're not on mission for God. We're on mission with God. He didn't just like send us in the world. Okay, now you guys get to do it. I'm checking out. We're on mission with God. He already goes before us. In fact, he's going to do it without whether any of us participate, whether the haven or you individually, whether or not you participate, he's going to fulfill his mission. He's already out there in the world doing his thing, and he invites us to be a part of that. Does that sound exciting to you? It does for me. I get to be on mission with God. There's your purpose. 
that's when, when, when life is, is coming against me and I'm down in the dumps and woe is me. Scott, I just remember I get to be on mission with God. I get to partner with God every day, the living God. That's the reason that I exist. That's my purpose. So if this is our mission, what does it look like in practice? Well, first, declaring the gospel is supreme. We know that that, that people cannot become new creations without hearing the good news. People don't evolve into new creations. They must be transformed. As Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must be made new. We, we, we don't just uh, come upon new creations as, as accident. We must be in Christ, by faith in Christ, by looking to Jesus. And beyond that, what does it look like putting our mission into practice? It doesn't stop with conversion. The call is to make disciples. What is that? Followers. Pupils of of Jesus. Those who seek to be like him. Those who are following him. And that that part is an ongoing process. That, That part is something that we're all in the process of. So we should be teaching others while at the same time continually growing ourselves as to what it means to be a child of God. Second, we demonstrate the the gospel in in our lives, not just because we're told to. This thing, we don't just obey God's commandments because we're told to. We do it because it's the good thing to do. It's the good thing to do. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Like actually looking at His commandments is not something I do because I'm a Christian, but something that I realize the, the, this, is, this is the way to wholeness. This is what like as a child of God, as, as being, you hear me say, truly human in Jesus, because we... we we, we were meant to walk with God, and as image bearers, we're only, we're only truly human when we have God working uh, inside of us. But to, if, if I am truly human and, and I am a child of God, I'm, as, as a human being, I'm meant to walk in God's commandments because it's what's healthy for me. It's what's healthy for the world. We love his commandments because they are the way of life and wholeness. And we know that not letting Jesus rule over our daily lives is unhealthy. More than that, it's the way of spiritual death and darkness. Living for God is what you were designed for. To not, oh, to, to, to not obey God is like a bird not wanting to fly. Or a fish not wanting to swim. It's what they were made for. If we're to be truly human, we walk in the commandments of Jesus Christ. So we demonstrate now what God brings about in in the future. That is our purpose. We're demonstrating now the kingdom of heaven, what it looks like, and what it's going to be like in the future. We give people, say, a little taste of heaven. We show this world a little taste of heaven. Think about it this way. 
if there is something in your life that doesn't belong in God's future, you ever thought about this? If there is something in your life that doesn't belong in God's future, does it belong in your present? Now, I do believe that there are things that are meant for this broken world that aren't a part of eternity. They're necessities. I don't believe we'll, we'll, we'll you know, I don't believe we'll need to grieve in heaven. You know, we need police now. We won't need police in heaven. Right? So there's things like that that are necessities for this world. But if it's not a necessity and it's in your life and you cannot even fathom it being in an eternity, when God perfects all things, does it belong now? I posted something about this recently. A woman said, I fully agree with you, but, um, uh, but I can see Christians um, disagreeing over the particulars. And I said, there, there's, that's exactly why I didn't post any particulars. <laughs> there's a lot of things, you know, that I believe there's going to be baseball and football in heaven, but, um, you know, Luke might not. Astros, no cheating in heaven, but... <laughs> <laughs> but they will still be champions in heaven. Luke. Oh. Let's move on before we lose focus. I think that's a good method of pruning. Like if something's in your life and you can't see it in eternity, does, does it belong? Are you functioning like God has, has created you to function? If it's not a necessity. How can we, the point is, how can we begin to look at this life through new lenses? How can we begin to, to look at this life with kingdom lenses? You know, we view the world one way. How can we begin to see it through the eyes of God and what he's created us to be? When Jesus first began his ministry, he brought light everywhere that he went. He, he uh, healed the sick. He cast out demons. He, he forgave sins. This is what it looked like when the kingdom of God uh, came through Jesus. He showed people a new way. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But if you remember, in Matthew, Jesus also says to his followers, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. That's speaking to us. You are the light of the world. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone who is in the house. In the same way, you should be letting your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're we're meant to let our lights shine. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You know what that means? That's what salt is for. Yeah, in our day, it's, it's, we, we give flavor, the flavor of God to the world. Still in some countries and some places, it's used to pre- preserve. It, we're, we're meant to preserve God's goodness in the world. That's what it means to be salt. It's a healing agent. We're God's healing agents in the world. We're bringing wholeness and healing to this world. It's about alignment. We align with God's design, and in doing that, we seek to align the world to his design as well.
my, uh, my chiropractor, Dustin, he spoke here once before. Uh, he taught me that, that alignment isn't just about getting your spine right and making your back feel better. It affects your whole body in a healthy way because your spine is central to your nervous system. And so when your spine's in alignment, it affects your whole body in a healthy way. So every time that we demonstrate God's goodness in the world and we go out as image bearers, every time we share the good news of the gospel with somebody, we're trusting God that he is adjusting the world's spine, if you will, a little more into place. But as we wrap up here, it starts with our own alignment. You may have heard me say before, I used to be totally against self-help, and I am in some, some forms, but no, the, the, more, the more we are like Christ and the more, you know, the whole adage, um, hurt people, hurt people, heal people, heal people, the more we're healed, the more we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, and the more God heals us and heaven comes into us, the more it's going to affect the world around us. It starts with us. When, when we surrender to God, heaven invades us. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you believed that he died and rose again for your sin and to give you new life? Have you believed upon him as Lord and Savior? Have you been baptized? If not, I mean, what are you waiting for? But here's the thing, believers. Every time we surrender, heaven invades us. So where do you need to surrender to the kingdom of heaven today? Where does the kingdom of heaven need to invade your life? Where is there darkness that is still being hidden from God? What is there that we need to surrender? What is there that you need to surrender this morning? And finally, when we seek God's shalom in the world, we invade the earth with the power of heaven. So think about this. What areas of the world what areas of your world are not in alignment with God? When you look at the world around you, what areas are not in alignment? And remember this, it's not about forcing people to do something that you want them to do. It's about doing your part in God's kingdom come. Does that make sense? So when we go out on mission, it's not forcing others to do what we want them to do. It's us taking part in, in, in God's purpose and, and, and mission in the world. How can we represent God's kingdom in the world? How can we do our part? Let's pray.